Destination, Des Moines, Iowa. Today is my husband Blaine's birthday. He is the one driving hundreds and hundreds of miles because he is the one who is confident when driving unlike me. Blaine says that driving for his birthday is an appropriate way to celebrate because typically his birthday is under-celebrated. Before this year, Blaine had many years where he almost drowned in a water park on his birthday. He's had multiple birthdays where... He was tasked with babysitting someone else and not celebrating. One year, he got locked out of his house and he had to climb up his neighbor's balcony and break in. But this year, we are going somewhere on Blaine's birthday. We are on a trip because Blaine has lost his father, and we are going to attend the funeral. Isaac and Lorelai are in the back seat. Nephew and niece. Isaac and Lorelai are teenagers who had the choice of riding with us or riding with their father, Blaine's brother, Nathan. It is a refreshingly unusual arrangement. Never have we seen the kids without the context of their parents' presence. Traveling with teenagers in the back seat means hearing them sing in unison to a song I have never heard before, but one that they know by heart that they're listening to in their headphones and it's a different song than Blaine has on in the CD player. This is a love song for a girl who will never know it's about her. I know it's pretty stupid but I'm much too shy to tell her. (laughs) She 
Meanwhile, Nathan is driving to Kansas solo. We told Nathan that there is enough room in our Des Moines Airbnb if he also needs a place to stay. But Isaac and Lorelai would not have it. They told their dad he could not come and join us. It reminds me of a reality television show where contestants are eliminated one by one until a single winner receives $10,000. So before we leave our city limits, I make both of the kids tell us why it is we shouldn't just drop them off, why it is that they have earned a seat in our vehicle. Lorelai reminds us that she just bought Blaine a birthday present with her own allowance and that it would be rude of us to dump her. Isaac reminds us that as long as he is in the car, his parents will split the cost of gas and food. We do not buy the cheapest gas in Des Moines because the cheapest gas in Iowa is made out of corn. And Blaine has prescribed our car a corn-free diet, especially after we already lost an hour to standing around in the Dodgeville Walmart Automotive Center as they replaced various car fluids for us because we weren't even two hours into driving and our engine had started a consistent grumbling up every hill. Here are some things you could buy at the Dodgeville Walmart Automotive Center. A personal dash cam, phone chargers shaped like 90s era Nintendo game controllers, car fluids, and while it didn't have a price marked on it, there was a jar on the counter that contained every nail, flint shard, and piece of glass ever extracted from a tire at the Dodgeville Walmart Automotive Center. The strangest one, according to the technician, was the U-shaped nail from two weeks ago. How did that get fished all the way into a tire?
Thank you. <laughs> and a merry Blaine's Day to all. Also, <laughs> Lorelai, you're a great American. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anja, you're a great American. <laughs> That's a great conclusion to the story. Day two. Destination, Kansas City. We arrive in Kansas City, but it is just like my favorite palindrome. Too hot to hoot. We stay indoors the rest of the day, playing games, and only once the sun has set do we venture out for a brief walk to and from the restaurant that we eat at. But sometime along that walk, as we take in the chainsaw volume of the Kansas City Cicada song, sometime along there, some fanged critter sucks a generous hunk out of my calf. And I don't even notice it until the next day when my leg itches mosquito to the 11th power. I have no idea what bit me. We stop in Prospero's bookshop and the clerk immediately asks us our vaccination status. Eyebrow stern. We tell him we are so vaccinated. He relaxes his brow. He confides in us that earlier that same day he got in a verbal spat with some anti-vaxxers who wouldn't wear masks even after he offered them some for free. When he asked them why they weren't vaccinated, the anti-vaxxers responded, it's a personal decision and none of your business. But he did not back down, telling them it is not a personal decision and kicked them out of the store. I see a CD for sale in the shop by a Kansas City friend that I have been trying to get in touch with but she just hasn't replied to my texts. I buy the CD, and then the next day, I find out over social media that she has tested positive for COVID, and she was already vaccinated. For the rest of the trip, I decide to wear a mask in every gas station and grocery store. The last time we stopped into Prospero's books was two years ago. Blaine got to talking with the owner for a long time since they are both in the business of selling books. At some point, Blaine introduced me as a poet, and that got the bookstore clerk interested, and he reached out to shake my hand, and I reached over to shake his hand, but as I leaned in, my bag swung forward and knocked over a jar of human remains, a jar of ashes that had been precariously set upon an antique, the antique being a dictaphone. I'd never heard of a dictaphone but it was set atop a dictaphone and my bag knocked the ashes over and they sp 
spilled on the ground and the bookshop owner had to get out a broom and a dustpan. It was a poet whose ashes I had knocked over, a poet named Victor. So this time when Blaine and I were in the shop, Blaine had to ask the owner, uh, I don't see the dictaphone. Do you still have the dictaphone on the counter? And the bookshop owner said, oh yeah, it's right here. And he pointed, there was the dictaphone. And there, precariously reset upon the dictaphone, were the ashes of the poet Victor. And then Blaine had to tell him, of course, what happened the last time. And the owner said, oh yeah, I thought you guys looked familiar. I was just glad that the owner didn't point to the ashes and go, one time, this total bitch <laughs> knocked over the ashes of poor Victor. Oh, I remember for the rest of the afternoon after knocking over the ashes of Victor, I just kept looking up to the sky and the ceiling and just looking up and going, I'm sorry, Victor. I'm so sorry.
wrote that song? Uh, it's by Cave Town. It's called Meteor Shower. And so it's like a famous song? Uh, I guess? Day 3, McPherson, Kansas. Today we are to handle someone else's ashes. Blaine's dad, Tim. We arrive in Blaine's hometown of McPherson, Kansas. Isaac and Lorelai remove their luggage from our trunk and place it in their dad's. Nathan's car is covered with clay dust. Nathan has been the one driving Tim's ashes across the country, taking many of the same country highways that Tim always loved to drive down. And Nathan has been playing a lot of his dad's favorite music. Hank Williams, Willie Nelson, Patsy Cline. This was Tim's final road trip. In the cemetery, each of the present grandkids takes their turn tapping or high-fiving the metal box containing Tim's remains. Blaine gives the box a hug. Dad was a big hugger, he reminds us. That evening, we all gather together, and Nathan and Blaine show us how they like to whum. And the rest of us try whumming as well, but no one else can do it. How do you do that? You hum at the same time that you're whistling. As you're whistling. <laughs> Day four, the funeral. Whenever I have to go to a funeral, I remember that there is an anagram for funeral, and that anagram is real fun. If there is any real fun to be had at a funeral, I would say it comes from remembering how real the person was who passed away. The one person who is not there, but is made real by the memories of all who gather to remember them. Blaine's niece, Renee, made a 37-minute documentary about Tim. She found every photograph she could find and placed it in chronological order. The soundtrack for the video was... All these interviews she had conducted over the past five years with her grandpa. My favorite Halloween memory was out in Brewster, Kansas. The uh, kids used to, I mean, the small town kids really ransacked stuff on it. I was a teacher and I lived out on this farm. And uh, I think they had colluded with my landlord. But these kids, they want to come out and trash the farm a little bit. So my landlord, Wanted me to go down with him someplace, do something, you know. Came back and that damn house looked like a tornado hit it. There was a stock tank, you know, a big stock tank with the water cattle in it. were on the roof and all the windows were soaped. <laughs> and then one another Halloween, what I thought was funny was there was, uh, kids down in Kingman were so polite that they, uh, 
uh, came up and knocked on the door and asked that minded if they soaked the windows on my old car. I said, no, if you could come back and wash them off the next morning. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next morning, they had to wash the windows off my car. We watched baby Tim grow up, play football, go to college, get married twice, have three children, and then a bunch of grandchildren. But it all felt like we had lived his entire life with him. We all became Tim. And only after the service, when we looked over at each other, did I remember that we were all just the individual people who knew him at different moments in his life. Day five, driving to St. Louis. We drive through the Kansas foothills. When I see a scene so pastoral, so painterly, so bucolic, it seems preposterous, ridiculous. There are two hills and cows sprinkled down the hills. In between the hills is a pool of water and some of the cows are half submerged in the water just standing there very still in the water. The water has dappled sunlight and everything is so peaceful. We pass the cows, cows just standing in water and there on the side of the road is a croaked armadillo. We don't have that in Wisconsin. And then above I see a hawk circling and it leads us to the next foothill. And at the top of the next foothill is a herd of Kansan buffalo. Later that day, I come to describe the armadillo as glabrous. Because when we get to St. Louis, our friend Dwayne informs us that his shiny, smooth, hairless head is the definition of the word glabrous. Dwayne's glabrous head. The glabrous body of the armadillo on the side of the road. I think Duane really appreciates having a word that describes him that sounds glamorous. Glabrous. Day six, the day we return home. Before we leave St. Louis, we stop over at Rudy's house for lunch, and she serves us Turkish food, including an eggplant dip called Imam Bayaldi, which Rudy tells us means this dip is so good that when the priest first tried it, he fainted. She pours us wine and stuffs us with slices of flan that are about the size of my forearm. She shows us the Rembrandt print in her living room. 
everything is incredibly decadent. When we leave, she hands us a bottle of hot sauce for the road. The road so bland. Leapfrogging around semi-trucks. Sampling gas station bathrooms across the state of Illinois. Pondering the enormous blades of wind turbines. The wind turbines are not turning today. It must be a still afternoon. Thank you to Tim, Nathan, Isaac, Lorelai, Blaine, Renee, Dwayne, Rudy, Bookshop Guy, our car, the highway, the Walmart, the highway, the Midwest. Thank you to Riverwest Radio. Thank you to my recording device. Thank you for all who came across us and were nice. Thank you to the vaccinated. No thank you to the unvaccinated. And remember, when encountering any subtle force, you are equipped with both logic and feelers.